the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled, From Few to Many. That's From Few to Many, and you can find it online at ReachingYourHeart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxenteco, with his broadcast today entitled, From Few to Many. That's From Few to Many. Pastor Mike. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the kind of grace that finds us in a place that's a wilderness in life. Thank you, Father, for reaching out and going in and pulling us from the situation we were born in and giving us Jesus in the journey. And, Father, for all of those here who are on their way to graduation, they've graduated in one place, they're moving toward other goals, bless them. May no young person here or any other, Father, achieve any goal without Jesus being the guide and the guardian of that way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a hard thing to just sit down and eat. How many of you agree with me? It isn't? You like sitting down and eating. Well, I found it's a hard thing to sit down and eat. Our culture relies on fast food in a bag. I mean, I'm going from one place to the next in my pastoral visitation. I go by Taco Bell, and I get the bag, and I move on. I eat on the run. Maybe you're like me. The modern family, in fact, eats in the car or on the run, but seldom around the table with a prayer. To sit down implies in some way that you are not productive and efficient, so eating on the run makes you feel important. Busy and successful people eat on the run as they are accomplishing things, stuffing those greasy burgers in their mouth. Now you can go to Burger King and get a greasy veggie burger and stuff it in your mouth. You can eat on the run if you're a vegetarian. It's a lot easier to just eat on the run than sit down and pray with your family, isn't it? I am now the father of two teenage sons who tend to eat on the run. When they were babies, it was not always easy to get them to sit down and eat at the table. In fact, it, for me, it was a real trial and journey to get them to eat in my presence. I can remember strapping them in their baby seat, you know, kind of like the Harry Houdini act. You just strap them in and then picking up the little spoon with the Gerber baby food. Every father, sooner or later, has to learn how to feed his child. Mothers, it's all natural. Fathers, it is not natural. And smiling with a big smile as I would extend the boom with the food on it, with the crane of my arm dangling it before my son's mouth, with all the psychological incentives to make it happen. The ritual went something like this. Open wide for daddy. Please, pretty please. And then eat. And then I would smile real hard and show my teeth. And my little son would close his mouth and turn his head and roll his eyes back and forth, looking down the hall to see if mommy was there. Back and forth, easy at first, and then the real fast back and forth. 
Real fast back and forth means no in baby language. And when it really got bad for dad, the baby would just scream and I would sit there until mommy came to rescue me from his anger and I discovered that being Mr. Mom is not easy. No one feeds a baby like mommy. It's a fact. No one can feed a baby like mommy. It was quite an accomplishment to train my first son to sit down and eat with me. I remember one winter around Christmas time as I was driving down the road with my little boy in the car seat strapped beside me. This was in the days before that you couldn't do that. We didn't have these explosive safety devices called airbags that are supposed to save your children's lives, but really started killing kids. So you had to put the kids in the back seat. Well, I didn't have that in my car. So my son was next to me in my Plymouth Horizon. We're moving through Kentucky. It was a snowstorm. remember very distinctly the night. It was hard and treacherous to stay on the road. And I remember driving down the road. It was night, and John Michael was crying in the middle of the snowy storm doing his wah scream routine. And the cry meant, I'm hungry, feed me daddy. Now, he had come to rely on me as part of the program of feeding him. It was not just mom anymore. And I was trying to keep my eyes on the road, and all I could hear was my son sobbing, screaming, thrashing, flailing, and wailing at the top of his lungs with that perennial cry, wah, wah. And it's not singing either, and it didn't sound like the doxology. So what do you do when your baby boy won't be quiet and you need him to be quiet so you can get through that snowstorm? That's what baby bottles are for. Marvelous invention. Every young father must add them to his toolbox. You can multitask as a man with a baby bottle in your hand. It's a good thing to wield that tool when you learn how. So I reached from his baby bottle and I placed the bottle gently in his little hands with one hand and I said in Daddy Talk, Eat. At first, he was quiet, so I lifted my hand and placed it beside the other on the steering wheel and resumed my focus on the road going through the storm. A few seconds passed, maybe 30 or so, and then I heard a loud thump on the floor of the car followed by the simple word, Dada. And I reached down, I kept my eyes on the road, one hand on the wheel, and I picked up the bottle and I gave it back to him and I said, Eat. He was quiet again, and I placed my hand on the wheel beside the other hand and focused on the road again. And again, the pause of time was broken when I heard another thump on the floor of the car followed by the word, Dada. We repeated this competitive ritual five or six times until it became absolutely clear that John Michael wouldn't eat unless I held the bottle with one hand while I held the wheel with the other hand. He would not eat if he had to feed himself. The food had to come from the father's hand or he wouldn't accept it. The little boy who had learned to sit and eat wouldn't eat alone. And he had learned to not eat unless his daddy was there to make it happen. Pavlov would have coveted such a stimulus and response learning achievement that I had accomplished with him. I had taught him to depend on me. I had moved from those precarious, difficult early moments to a point where he couldn't eat without his daddy. Animal behaviorists call this kind of learning a fixed action pattern. It was a fixed action pattern for him to rely on me to hold the bottle. When a child grows, it comes to know that sitting down and eating is more than just eating. To really feast, you must sit down and be fed. Now notice the way I said that. To be fed is passive action as someone else feeds you. To be fed means that you are dependent upon someone who feeds you. You don't feed yourself. Dear heart, Christ came to this world. He came to this world to make it more personal. He came to your home 
to our home, into our lives, to feed the children of God, to feed you and me with the Word of God that comes down from God. We live in an age when people want to be fed by any and everything except the Word of God. The church has become a place where the Word of God has been set aside, where the achievements of the Reformation that made the Bible central and the life of the church has been set aside by so-called postmodern thinkers who believe that they are smarter than God's Word. There are junk food religionists today who take the simple Word of God, which is the living bread. They take it in the place of real religion. They substitute it with different things. There are different franchises out there selling stuff that does not come from God. People eat philosophy, science, and they think it's food for the soul. They sit in classes sometimes and they talk about some new thought that they think is profound, not realizing that very few things are new and very few things are really profound these days. And they gobble up philosophy and science, rejecting the living word. In the contemporary Christian scene, people go to church. They go to church for the music and the dance, and they forget that music and dance is not the food for the soul, that the word of God is what we need in our lives. There are people who think that positive thinking and psychology are better than God's word. And these people are hungry, and they don't know that they're not feeding on heaven's food. They're feeding on human personalities. They're feeding on things that come from within. But to be alive, you have to be fed by another. Intellectualism, emotionalism, social tribalism in the church. And that's when people kind of just get their fix from being around the people they like. Or any other kind of ism. It will not take the place of simply sitting down and feeding on the Word of God from the Father's hand. That is the need we have on the eve of the advent of Jesus Christ. It is the fundamental need of the Christian life, of any life. Christ came to this world to feed the children of God with the Word of God that comes down from God. And if you are fed, if you are really fed, you will be fed by the Father's hand. And the Father's hand is Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus earned the right. He earned the right to have authority to heal and feed because he learned to deny himself when he was hungry. He would not use his own divine power to make bread so he would have the moral right to make bread for you and me. The devil came to him and said, Turn these stones, these round balls that look like bread, turn these stones into bread and prove to me that you're the Son of God. And Jesus answered the devil in Luke 4, 4, was taken from Deuteronomy 8, 3. Here's what he said. He answered him. He said, it is written. Christ would not engage evil. Christ would not attempt great things without beginning the journey of his ministry with the simple citation of the word of God as his bread. The man who was dying of hunger in the desert said, it is written. He didn't say, I think. He didn't say, by the way, I read this somewhere, and here's the footnote. He said it's written. I actually did, but he didn't read it from a human being. He read it from God. Therefore, he's citing the word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, the fuller verse reads this way in Deuteronomy 8.3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you manna. Manna means what is it? Which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know. You know, there are certain things in life God has to make us know because we can't learn them on our own. That He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but that man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. 
Dear heart, real food comes from God, and God sends hardship and trial and temptation into your life to teach you to feed on His Word and to trust in His ways. And when you learn the lessons of the wilderness, you can go to the promised land. In the wilderness of temptation, Jesus denied Himself the miracle of making bread so He would have the moral right to make your bread. He became the manna man because He would not make manna for Himself. And the man who would not feed himself to save his own life, God chose him to feed the world with the bread of life. Luke 9, verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him what they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a city called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. This is the introduction to Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000. And what we have in these two verses is the same idea of a congregation of people who follow Jesus out to hear the word of God. We find a holy gathering occurring as Jesus is on the move. Now the Greek word for church in the New Testament is ekklesia. It comes from two Greek words. It means to be called out. Verse 11 is one of the brimming full verses that shows us the profound character of Jesus as a preacher and teacher in his time and for all time. The text says they followed him and he welcomed them. Now, if I were to stop right here today, if I were to say nothing more today, think about what that verse says. They followed him and he welcomed them. Jesus' church in the wilderness was a welcome place. People who followed him were welcome to follow him. Maybe you came to church and you feel that you're not very welcome. It's probably more your feelings than anything else. Here's the truth. People who follow Jesus are welcomed by Jesus. Dear heart, you don't have to feel welcome to be welcomed. You are welcomed because of Jesus. The question arises, what was the essence of Jesus' ministry out there? I mean, what was it all about? If you could boil his ministry down, what was it about? Many ministers today try to be any and everything for everybody. But what did Jesus do in the ministry for the people? Three actions are found in verse 11 that answers this question. Luke 9, 11. When the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now I'd like to look at three actions that we have in those verses. Action number one, Jesus welcomed people who followed him. Have you ever been to church and you come through the door and someone looks at you with a big scowl on their face? Well, have you? Come on, fess up and be honest with me. Have you ever had that happen to you? What? You have. Did you quit coming to church? Now, I already know the answer to that question. You're here today, aren't you? Now, think about this. Here we have the person for whom the church is all about. It says in verse 1, Jesus welcomed people who followed him. If you were to come to church today and the only person to welcome you is Jesus, would he welcome you, yes or no, based on that verse? He would. So if you have an unfriendly encounter at any point in your life in the church, are you to judge your Christian experience by that unfriendly encounter? Or are you to accept the welcome of Christ and come on in? That's what you're to do. Action number two, Jesus spoke to them of the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't teach and preach his own ideas. He didn't fill the ears of people with book reviews, movies, comic book strips, dancing and prancing, philosophy, or anything like that. That's not what the church service was about. Christ was the teacher, and Jesus taught the profound truths of the kingdom of God in a simple manner as the essential stuff of life. 
The living and abiding Word of God in human flesh proclaim the good news of God's kingdom that is coming and is already here in Him. That's what He taught. I mean, so Christ, when He shared the Word with the people, it was the essential stuff that got them from here into the future into God's kingdom. Action number three, Jesus cured those who had need of healing. When you're listening to the preaching and teaching of Jesus, you went home with more than just a new idea. You went home healed if you believed. His words found the empty and filled them with new life. His words touched the sore of the heart and applied the salve of the Spirit. His words found the cancer of guilt and His light became radiation therapy that shrank the tumor until it went away. Christ's words were more than words. When men and women came to Jesus with the pains of spiritual hunger, His words healed their pain and filled their hearts with truth. And he took away the ulcer of the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. He filled the empty heart with God's truth. And healthy churches today, I believe, work with Jesus to teach his word to others. So let's review these three actions that we see on Jesus' part. Action number one for a healthy church. You welcome people who are seeking Jesus. You're friendly to others because Christ was. Action number two for a healthy church. You proclaim the kingdom of God based on the Word of God, not on your own ideas. So a healthy church is not focusing so much on what the church thinks of itself. It's really declaring what God has to say for others. And action number three for healthy churches is that they experience healing because Christ is there and the focus of the church is Jesus' presence. So you can keep all that other stuff as far as I'm concerned. I can listen to singers who can't sing and I can endure worship that isn't perfect and I can hear goofs here and there in the service, but if I hear the Word of God, that's good enough for me. That's what I want out of a worship service. If I hear the Word of God, I'm going to be fed there. You can take all that highfalutin stuff, you can set it aside. If Jesus is there, that's good enough. Now, how does the African-American spiritual go? It says you can have all this world, but give me what? Jesus. I mean, if you had to sit down today and you had to make a list of what you want, if you had to figure out what it is you wanted, and if you could have your wish, what would it be? Would it be a new car? Would it be financial security? Would it be a secure retirement? Would it be that degree you've always coveted? Or would it be Jesus? Dear heart, if you have come to church seeking Jesus, you will find what you came for. In Luke 9, 11, the people who came to hear Jesus found what they were looking for. He taught them publicly the Word of God in ways they could understand, and He healed the people. Now, there is a place to come out and to gather to hear the Word of God publicly in the wilderness of life. The church is that place, a wilderness retreat of faith. According to verse 12, the people could listen to Jesus all day long, and they never got tired of His teaching. Look at Luke 9, 12 with me. Now, when the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to Him, Send the crowd away to go into the villages and country round about to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in a lonely place. Now the Greek doesn't say it quite like that. It says we are in a wilderness. It's the same word used in Luke 4 when the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness. The wilderness is the place the devil lives in the Gospel of Luke. I mean Christ went out there and there he was waiting on him. He also lives in the abyss where all the pigs went. But the abyss, even though it's his permanent home, the wilderness is kind of like his retreat. It's his place where he looks for people to tempt and to torment. And so he was there to tempt Christ. 
But the truth is that as we move from slavery, from Egypt in our own life, to the promised land, the ground in between is the wilderness. And so it is natural to expect that we will encounter temptation, that we will encounter the enemy right there in the wilderness. And that's where Jesus was at, preaching and teaching the Word of God. You know, what does that mean? It means this, that God has sent His Son not to the highest mountain to declare what is true. God has sent His Son not to the lowest place in and of itself. He has sent Him to the wilderness that you live in so that you can make the journey to the promised land. Christ is the new Moses who leads His people through the wilderness. Now, the disciples didn't see the wilderness as a place of opportunity. They saw it as a place of danger. They had forgotten that God fed Israel in the wilderness. They had forgotten that manna comes in the wilderness. And they had forgotten that miracles can be wrought by God right there in the wilderness. And they said this to Jesus. Send the crowd away to go into the villages and country round about to lodge and get provisions, for we are here in a wilderness. You know, some churches are just like that. They have to send people away to be fed. People come and they say, we want to hear the word of God. And they hear any and everything but the Word of God, and eventually they say, go away, look someplace else. Dear heart, you may leave Jesus. You have the right to go. But if you don't leave Jesus, if you come to the place where His Word is preached and taught, you will find Jesus, and Christ will not send you away, and you will in time be healed. No church member... No person in your experience, no wrong committed against you in the church should stand in the way of your ability to follow Christ. So you come anyway. Luke 9, 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in companies about 50 each. Christ said, you give them something to eat. Now, in a sense, the people are like my little boy, John Michael. They need to be fed, but they can't feed themselves. The responsibility of the individual believer in the story is to come to Christ. But he tells the leaders, his own apostles, you feed the flock. You know, if you think about it, if a pastor does not feed his flock from the Word, he has no right to lead his flock in any other activity. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. And the question is, what do they get to eat? The disciples responded, We have only five loaves and two fishes. And they didn't even know what they were saying when they said this. What's five loaves and two fishes out here in the middle of a wilderness? Now, in the context, the bread represents the Word of God. How many loaves did he give them? Five. Now, the number five in the Bible, can you think of anything that corresponds to number five? Go back to the Torah, the Law of Moses. Remember in Deuteronomy 8, man shall not live by bread alone. God gave them bread in the wilderness. Do you realize that Moses wrote the Torah in the wilderness? It was comprised of five books. The number five was symbolic of God's word as the Torah, as the word of God. They had five loaves of bread in the wilderness, and they couldn't make the connection that they should rely on God's word. Now, how many fish did they have? They had two fish. Now, when Jesus told Peter, he said, I will make you a fisher of what? Of men, so we have here one and two. When Christ sent his disciples out, did he send them alone or by twos? And so a believer here was symbolized as a fish, Luke 5.10. And he said to Simon, do not be afraid. Henceforth you will be catching men. The fish represents the person who is caught in the gospel net. So the kingdom of God is like a net that catches all kinds of fish. 
It takes two witnesses to bear witness to the truth. So we have two things coming together. We have the five loaves of bread, and we have two fish, the five loaves symbolizing God's word, and the two fish symbolizing the witness of two believers. And when you put them together, you have everything you need to feed the people. Jesus taught that two people with God's word can change the world. Thanks for listening today. If this message is ministered to you, remember there are many more just like it at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. These are urgent times and God has an urgent message. God's message in Revelation is one of warning and encouragement. And it's a personal appeal to all of mankind. It is his final message before sweeping changes occur across the globe events that will take place just prior to Christ's second coming. You see, God doesn't want His church to be surprised by the events that will take place. He wants His church ready for His return. We have a book titled God's Last Altar Call that will encourage you and help you understand what events must take place as found in the book of Revelation. We'll send you this book for a donation of any amount and pray that you will be encouraged to know that you can discern the events that must take place prior to His second coming. Please call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. And with a donation of any amount, we'll send the book right out to you entitled, God's Last Altar Call. We pray that you will be lifted up by the biblical insights in this book and grow spiritually in your walk with Christ. Join us again next time for another edition of Reaching Your Heart. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.